This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Acts chapter 14. And we're going to read the first 23 verses of that chapter, if you'll follow along with me in your Bibles. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they call Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the unstoppability of the gospel because of its truth. Because Jesus really was raised from the dead 
And, and these apostles were eyewitnesses to that. They would not be stopped from bearing testimony. They would give their own lives. They would suffer any persecution because they knew that it was true. And your spirit empowered them to share. And your spirit enabled people to come to faith in Christ in the first century. And you're continuing to do that in the 21st century. You're doing it here in America. You're doing it in Haiti, where our team is headed this week. You're doing it all around the world. We know that no opposition can stop the spreading flame of the gospel. And so give us confidence in that gospel as we look at this chapter today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier in the book of Acts, <clears throat> we saw that a very wise rabbi, Gamaliel, stood up in the Sanhedrin, the highest court in Israel. And as the Jesus movement is just getting going and, and persecution is coming against the, the apostles and so forth from the Sanhedrin, this member of the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel, gets up and he says to the others, he says, look, if this movement is of man, it's going to fall by its own weight. We don't even have to bother with persecuting these people because it's not going to last. But if this movement is of God, it cannot be stopped. And Gamaliel's words prove to be prophetic because as the book of Acts continues, what we see is that it cannot be stopped that the flame of the gospel just continues to spread throughout the Greco-Roman world and go to places where it's never been. <clears throat> now, tomorrow, we have a team that is leading, leaving for Haiti on an international mission trip. They're down front. We're going to pray for them before our service ends today. Today, we are looking at sort of the first mission trip in a way, the first international missionary journey and it takes place in what is now Turkey and if you look on the map I think we have an image of Iconium and so you see there what is now Turkey that's where the action in chapter 14 begins so what happens in this chapter on, on the first missionary journey of the apostles. Let's look first of all at the heralds of the gospel. The heralds of the gospel. Um, check out verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke. So, who is they here? Well, it's Paul. We know about Paul. We've seen him come to Christ in chapter 9, we are going to kind of be with Paul for the remainder of Acts. Paul we know a lot about, but he's not alone. He is with a man named Barnabas. And we don't know as much about Barnabas, but we need to know about Barnabas because Barnabas is absolutely crucial to what is happening in the early church in the advance of the gospel. New Testament scholar I. Howard Marshall says this about Barnabas. He describes him as a Christian leader conspicuous for his sheer goodness. That was Barnabas. We first meet him in chapter 4, 
of Acts. Let's look at chapter 4 and verses 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So originally his name was Joseph, but they gave him a nickname that was fitting with his character. The nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a difference we can make in the lives of other people by being encouragers. Be a Barnabas. Be an uplifter of people. The church should be a, a whole community of Barnabases. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to the church, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up. When we have a whole community of encouragers, what a wonderful thing that is. Now we also see something else about Barnabas here in verse 37, and that is that he was incredibly generous. Verse 37 of chapter 4 says that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so Barnabas does this extraordinary act of generosity because he wanted to bless his church financially. Now, Barnabas is also key in getting the leaders of the church to accept the Apostle Paul after his conversion. I mean, there was a lot of skepticism about Paul, and, and understandably so. This is a guy who had been a persecutor of Christians. He's been having Christians arrested, thrown into prison, at times even killed in the case of Stephen. And so when Paul is suddenly converted to Christ after seeing the resurrected Jesus, there's a certain amount of skepticism. Is this real? I mean, they were afraid of the guy. What happens? Let's look at Acts 9 and verses 26 and 27. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he being Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. <clears throat> and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So what happens? Barnabas puts his arm around Paul, brings him before the leaders of the church, and he says, brothers, we can trust this guy. We can believe that what God has done in his life is real because I've seen it. I've seen the evidence of the Spirit of God working in his life. I've seen the work that he is doing on behalf of the Lord and he is now our brother in Christ. He's one of us. And, the, and because of the credibility of Barnabas, they accept Paul into the fold. Now just think how crucial that moment was to the advance of the gospel. Barnabas did something else. Barnabas was not only crucial in getting the church leaders to accept Paul, but he was crucial in getting Jewish believers to accept Gentile believers. Uh, let's go to chapter 11 of Acts and verses 20 and following. 
But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Hellenists are Greek-speaking Gentiles. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I mean, so this is wonderful. At Antioch, you've got these Greek-speaking non-Jews, these Gentiles, that are coming to faith in Christ, and it's wonderful, but it raises a lot of eyebrows from Jewish believers because they're, they're questioning and they're wondering, hey, these, these people are ranked pagans. I mean, can they, have they truly come to, to Christ? Can we really believe that this has happened? So what does the church do? Who do they send? Barnabas. Verses 22 and following of chapter 11. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So everywhere you look in the book of Acts, you see this man. Barnabas, bringing people together, you know, solving conflict, bringing unity, putting his arm around people and encouraging them, lifting them up. You know, it's, a, it's a great testimony to the difference that one person can make if there'll be a son or a daughter of encouragement. The difference that one person can make if they're filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. That was Barnabas, the heralds of the gospel. Second, we see in this chapter the reactions to the gospel. Let's go back to verse 1 again of chapter 14. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so there was a great deal of openness to the gospel in Iconium. But what we also see is that there was a great deal of opposition to the gospel in Iconium. Let's look at verses 2 and following. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 5, an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. Now, see, this is the pattern that we see in Acts. In city after city after city, what happens? Some accept the gospel and others attack the gospel and attack the messengers of the gospel. But what do those messengers of the gospel do? Verse 7, they continue to preach the gospel. They had tunnel vision. I mean, whatever the reaction was, you know, whatever the level of receptivity or the level of opposition, I mean, they just stayed focused on the task. Our, you know, back in the in the mid to late 2000s, when I, I served the first time as a trustee with the International Mission Board, it was, it was a tough time because we had a bunch of our, our missionaries that were killed on the field. Yemen, Iraq, 
other places. And it just seemed like, I mean, every, uh, it, on, in a pretty rapid succession, there were lots of people that were being killed. It was a very, very difficult time. And I'll never forget our president at that time, Dr. Jerry Rankin, whenever these things would happen, he would tell the missionaries, he would tell the staff, he would tell the trustees, we just stay focused on what God has called us to do. In other words, there was just a relentless focus on the process of what we're called to do, and we're going to let God take care of the rest. Because, listen, it's not our business to uh, control the reactions to the gospel. It's our business to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. And that's what these guys just relentlessly continue to do. That's got to be our focus. We don't control reactions. We don't control results. We control whether we're faithful to do what God has called us to do. So we see various reactions to the gospel here in, in Iconium. That was the case everywhere. Third, we see here the revolutionary nature of the gospel. Uh, do you ever wonder, like in our world today, how can someone, for instance, change from being, you know, just an all-out, fully committed Muslim to being a sold-out on fire follower of Jesus. Well, it's happening, and it's revolutionary when it happens. It's actually revolutionary when any of us <laughs> get saved because of our, of our sin nature. But you know, at, at least with, with, with Muslim people, for instance, they're monotheist. I mean, they, they already believe in, in one God. We have that much in common. But Paul and Barnabas now, are headed into a territory where the people are polytheist. And that is that they worship multiple gods. In fact, a whole pantheon of gods. And so now, they're, they're moving from Iconium to the city of Lystra. I think we're going to see that popping up here. Lystra, just to the south of Iconium. And so what happens in Lystra is that this crippled man is healed by God. God works through the apostles, and this man is healed. He's never walked, and everybody in town knows it. And suddenly, he springs to his feet, and he begins walking. But what is the reaction of these uh, pagan polytheistic people to this miracle versus 11 and 12. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So Zeus was the king of the Roman pantheon of gods. There was actually a temple to Zeus in Lystra, Hermes was the messenger of the gods, and so since Paul was the one doing most of the speaking, they referred to him as Hermes, and, and Barnabas they referred to as Zeus. Now, there's kind of a backstory to this, because according to local legend in Lystra, 
There was one time before when Zeus and Hermes had come down to earth disguised as human beings. And according to this legend, they sought lodging in someone's house. And the, and the legend said they went to a thousand homes in the area of Lystra. And nobody would take them in except for one older couple. And so that older couple, they turned their house into a temple. And then the gods sent a flood to destroy the other thousand homes. And so these people want to make sure that, that they are hospitable to Zeus and Hermes this time as they have appeared. It just shows the fear that these pagan people uh, lived in. And they wanted to placate the gods. Verse 13, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. See, these people lived in constant fear of what these capricious gods would do. They lived in constant fear that they would displease one of these gods and that the gods would lash out at them and send a, a flood or an earthquake or some disaster to destroy them. And so they would offer all kinds of sacrifices and so forth. And listen, this is the kind of superstition and bondage that people live in in so many parts of the world today. Our team's going to Haiti. Uh, the people in that country have lived in, in the bondage of, of voodoo uh, and, and, and bondage to witch doctors that sort of hold power over villages and, and groups of people and, and so forth. It's been going on for years. There are millions of people around the world that just live in, in, in just constant uh, a fear of what some capricious God may, uh, may, may do to them. And not only do they offer sacrifices to try to placate the gods, sometimes they sacrifice themselves as human beings. Uh, this happens an awful lot um, in South Asia, especially in the, the Hindu world. And just this week, I, I just kind of looked up to see some of the things that have been happening recently. I want to share two stories with you that I think will make this very personal and very human. Both of these are from India. The first is a 22-year-old young woman named... Anisha. And the newspaper said this, a 22-year-old postgraduate student committed self-immolation at a temple in Pataudi on Friday evening. The suicide note signed by Anisha mentioned that she wanted to be united with Lord Shiva. And as it was not possible in this transitory world, she was leaving her perishable body. According to a temple priest, she performed some rituals at the temple and went towards a nearby toilet. A few moments later, the priest saw smoke rising from the toilet and rushed there with other devotees. The priest said she was covered in flames and could not be saved. The suicide note was addressed to Lord Shiva and stated the only reason for me to the, leave this transitory world is to be totally one with Lord Shiva that can be possible only in the next life. 
goddess Parvati, kindly fulfill my last wish. I want to get united with Lord Shiva. That was Anisha. Also, in just the past few months, just another example. Sanjay, 30-year-old man. Again, reading from an Indian newspaper, a 30-year-old man killed himself by slitting his throat on Tuesday in a ritual to appease a goddess depicted in the Hindu scriptures as having severed her own head. Chinamaster, which means one whose head is severed, is worshipped by millions of Hindus as an incarnation of the mother goddess, the supreme female deity. Many believe Chinamaster to be another form of goddess Kali, the deity of death. The police said, we have informed family members who were on their way to receive the body. They informed us over the phone that he was an austere devotee of the goddess and often talked about leaving this world to be with the goddess. Priests said the man had come into the temple in the wee hours and performed prayers with full devotion. Around 6 a.m., he pulled out a dagger and slit his throat at the place where animals are generally sacrificed. Sanjay, 30 years old. My heart breaks for Anisha and for Sanjay. How I wish that someone had told them that another was sacrificed in their place. That one was sacrificed who took their sins on himself and gave himself for them. That they could be right with God, with the one true God, and that their sins could be forgiven and that they could be adopted as a son or daughter of, of a God who loves them and gave himself for them, and sacrificed himself for them, and was raised for the dead for them. I wish that they had heard the message of Hebrews 9.26, which says that Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The, the final sacrifice has been made by Jesus for us on a cross and he is raised from the dead that we might walk in newness of life. I wish these dear people had heard that message. That's our assignment to tell them. The revolutionary nature of the gospel for the church of the gospel. Verses 19 and 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So obviously this is a brutal stoning that takes place. Paul has obviously been knocked unconscious. Some people believe that he actually was dead and that God raised him from the dead. But, but at the very least, it's so bad, they think that he's dead. But what happens? What does he keep doing? He goes on and keeps doing what? Preaching the gospel, 
making disciples, verses 21 and following. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now you notice here that they go back through the same cities that they had come through. They go back to Iconium. They go back to Lystra. Why? Because they were not content to let these people remain babes in Christ. They knew that they needed to be taught. And so what were they teaching them? They were teaching them that it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, how different is this than the health and wealth gospel that we hear in so many churches today? I mean, how different is this than sort of the Christian light message that you hear in so many churches today? How different is this than sort of, you know, little moralisms and tips for life and psychotherapy? No, they knew that these people were gonna suffer and they needed they needed to get into the deep things of God and they needed to be taught solid doctrine. They needed to be grounded in the faith and they needed to be, to be taught that, listen, this is not going to be easy. Tribulation is going to come, but you don't have to face it alone. Surely they taught them what Jesus teaches us in John 16, where Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so they came back through these cities and they taught them that no matter what you go through, you're gonna have a savior who's going to be with you, he's not gonna leave you alone, and you're gonna have a new family that's gonna be with you. You're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to be with you. Because what happens? Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so one of the reasons why they went back through these cities again is because they did not want these new Christians to be left without a church and without church leaders. And so they appointed elders. The term is interchangeable with pastors. And so what this is telling us is that the early Christians were not just sort of gathering informally for worship, but they were being gathered into organized churches with appointed leaders. The notion of sort of Lone Ranger Christians not connected to a local church, a church where the gospel is preached, where the word of God is taught, a church where the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism are practiced, a church with appointed leaders and a real structure, the notion of believers not being a part of that is just foreign to the book of Acts and to the New Testament. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that if we're followers of Christ, 
that we need a church family, a real church family. We don't just need to be a part of sort of an informal Bible study somewhere, although that, that's great, but that's not enough. You know, it's, it's great when we're part of a campus ministry. Love that, support that. That's not church, okay? So those things are, are you know, informal things like that. Parachurch ministries can be a helpful support of the church, but it's not church. Church is when it's a gathering of believers the preaching of the word takes place, the celebration of the ordinances take place, and there is an organized structure. There are appointed leaders, pastors, deacons. Okay, that's what we, that's what we see here. The, the apostles were super concerned that churches be planted everywhere that they went. And so that tells us that if we're followers of Christ, you know, we need to be a part of a local church. We need to be all in with our local church. Why? Because Jesus is building the church and Jesus loves the church. We want to be a part as followers of Christ of building what Jesus is building and Jesus promises to build what? The church. Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So if we're followers of Christ, right, we want to be a part of building what Jesus is building. And if we're followers of Christ and we love him, then listen, we want to love the things that Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen, Jesus is all in for the church. As followers of Christ, we are to be all in with our local church. Invest your life in what Jesus is invested in. Use your life to build what Jesus is building. Give yourself to love what Jesus loves. He's building his church. He loves his church. He gave himself. He died for the church. So give yourself for the local church. Spend yourself for the local church. Give of your time. Give of your spiritual gifts, your talents. Give of your treasures, your resources, that the church can be built. Be all in with the church, and you'll be all in with what Jesus is all in with. He loved the church and gave himself for the church. He died for the church. And if you belong to him, it means he died for you because you're a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gathering that you have called us to in our, our local church. Lord, help us to love it. Help us to cherish it. Help us to be all in and seeking to strengthen it. Help us to be Barnabases, encouraging it and, and lifting other people up Help us to be witnesses that are out in our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our circles of friends, 
telling other people about Jesus, that we'll see more people baptized and coming in to join this family. As we just continue to pray, you know, maybe you're here today and you're, you're in this room physically, but yet you're not a part of this family spiritually. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. The way is open. The door is open. His heart is open to you. Turn to him today in repentance and faith. Turn from self, turn from sin, trying to do life your own way. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Say, Lord, I want to follow you. You may be here today and the Spirit is speaking to you. And just as we saw people baptized earlier as believers in our service, you say, I need to follow through. I believe in Jesus. I want to be baptized as a believer. Take that step today. Maybe you're here today and uh, God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. Every Christian needs a church family. God's leading you here. You come. Come. We want to, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. God's working in your heart. Say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of his church. I've got a need in my life that I need prayer for. You come. So, Father, speak to us now in this holy time as you work in hearts and you lead people to take steps for your glory's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 
I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.